Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast needs no introduction. He is Brandon Turner, the most famous beard in all of entrepreneurship and real estate investing. He is the host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast. He is the founder of Open Door Capital, and he is probably, again, one of the most well-known and recognizable faces, beards, and names uh, on the investor circuit and real estate podcast. His podcast has over 100 million downloads. Bigger Pockets has over 2 million users. Um, I really, uh, his credentials list goes on and on. And uh, we found each other on Instagram, started connecting, uh, you know, the common theme of jujitsu again. And uh, me being an idiot, again, I, I tried to offer some sort of value to the guy for coming on the podcast. And I was like, hey, you know, if you need some connections for jujitsu, and he's like, well, you know, I. I know Jocko Willink, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm an idiot. What am I doing? So <laughs> I was going to call up and be like, oh, you know, I know you wanted to train there, and you told Jocko no, but do you know Nick? So I say stupid things sometimes. But either way, um, it was really awesome talking to the guy. Totally easy to talk to, straight professional. Uh, again, I could have gone in a million different directions, and uh, I probably will do my best to get him on again and go a little bit deeper. He's written tons of great books. He gives so much great value on his blogs and on his podcasts and on his webinars and on his YouTube channels. Um, we'll go into all that stuff. And again, there's just so much experience and knowledge in what he's done, the guests he's had on, what he's he's listened to other people tell their success stories. And, you know, I just, after the amount of episodes that they've done and the amount of work he's put into all the different things, you know, I just, uh, I think it's it's such a huge value piece to be able to talk to somebody for an hour and have them share their experiences based on theirs and, and all these other experiences of all these successful people that have made all these mistakes that we can learn from and how all these, these successes that we can we can benefit from. It's just a really great, amazing time to be an investor and he's really built an amazing thing coming up through the ranks of bigger pockets from a white belt and now become a black belt. And now it's exciting to watch him take all the things we talk about on this podcast and turn that into uh, jujitsu and watch all the, the work ethic and the fundamentals and the mindset that he has to become successful in business and watch him climb the ranks and make those new connections and make those new those new relationships that I think will be game changers for him and, and for just his energy levels and his mood and his circles and everything. And when he's already in such a good positive space, to me, you know, I just feel like jujitsu just makes everything better. So I love seeing that those two worlds are combining and I'm excited for his journey on that and watching him grow and fall in love with jujitsu and make these new friends and these new connections. And uh, again, I hope to have on the podcast again sometime in the near future. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for checking this out. And most importantly, if you do want to get involved in real estate investing, let's get you into some deals. Go to nicknicknick.com. You can download my free ebook on how the coronavirus has affected real estate and some of the changes that you need to be aware of that have happened in the last 12 months so you know what to keep your finger on to keep you out of trouble and keep you from getting caught with your pants down when the market does start to shift over the next 12 months. It's a nice, easy read. It's free on our website, nicknicknick.com. It's a little bit of money on eBay. But more importantly, I want to get into some real estate. Let's do some deals. If you want to buy properties from me, if you want to sell properties to me, if you want to partner up on some deals, whether you're new, you're experienced, you're looking to scale up, you're looking to expand, diversify, or you don't even know where you fit in. You just want to have a conversation about how to start getting involved. Let's have that conversation. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. You will see all the ways to subscribe to this podcast. You will see all the ways to connect with me on social media. 
and you will be able to contact me through any of those different channels and be able to have a great conversation about how we can start to work together and get you some assets or make you some money or start having your money work for you. But let's do it right now. Um, I've had some great properties coming in. I just sold off some good assets, uh, flipped a nice single family home I'll talk about that we had a great hotel experience on, selling some mobile home parks, selling some apartment buildings, helping with due diligence. If you're scared, I can assist you in many, many different areas to help make that process a little less scary and a little less painful. Let's just start that conversation and open it up today. So once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Huge fan. Can't say enough great things about Brandon Turner. And I can't thank him enough for being generous with his time. We cover a lot of different things on here. We cover the mindset. We cover the business. We cover some tactical stuff. We cover a whole bunch of different things. We go over how he got started, how his journey has actually been documented on the Bigger Pockets podcast and the forums and his earlier blogs. We talk about the importance of focus, which is a common theme that comes up over and over again. We talk about how important it is to have the support of your friends and family and why sometimes the people in your life go negative and immediately bring you the problems instead of the solutions and why you have to find a way to find the positive. And yes, be realistic about what could go wrong, but don't be unrealistic about what could go wrong and then use that as a crush to not do anything. We talk a lot about price versus risk and why cheaper may not be better and what types of price points and what types of markets you may want to focus on long-term versus short-term and what those real numbers look like, which I think is an extremely interesting topic that we dig into. We talk about, again, training yourself to see the, pos the positive and everything. We talk about preparing for a market change and how he's stress testing his deals to make sure that he is prepared if and when there is a market shift. We talk about choosing partners, which is super important because a lot of the times, You'll see businesses, when friends get involved, it starts to get sticky when you involve money and different roles and expectations. So he's had a very, very good track record of working with people and staying very close friends, enjoying each other's time. And to me, that's a really, really huge thing because you don't want to poison that well. And so I love listening to how he's done that and the way he's come through and made those those relationships not intertwine and cause or spill over into drama on the personal side versus the professional side just very, very important. It's good, good stuff. He talks about hiring and how he uses interns, which is another thing that I was surprised he hasn't talked to. So I'm, I talked about, so I'm hoping he does a podcast on that on bigger pockets, but we definitely talk about using interns to bring up through the ranks, which I think is very, very smart. Um, I'm surprised more people don't do it. And I'm surprised I haven't thought of it. Uh, we talk about being honest with yourself and how important that is. And of course we talk about jujitsu. We talk about his beard and we talk about uh, ways to focus to free up more time. And then of course we go over the basic victory lap questions and some advice and some tips and tricks that he can give you guys that you can implement today so thank you again for coming on the, the podcast my guest brandon turner host of the bigger pockets podcast absolute stud can't say enough good things and i can't show you uh, how much i appreciate that you came on and shared your time looking forward to doing it again enjoy maui enjoy the podcast everybody have a great day all right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast, I am extremely excited for. He's been a real estate investor for over 15 years. He is closing in on 1,500 units. He is the owner of Open Door Capital LLC, which raises private money for mobile home parks. He's the author of many successful books, including the book on rental property investing, the book on managing rental properties, the book on investing in real estate with no and low money down, as well as the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, which has over 100 million downloads, making it the biggest and most downloaded real estate podcast out there, as well as the owner of uh, two homes that Kurt Cobain had lived in <laughs> I recently heard. <laughs> he is an investor black belt, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu white belt. He has a fierce beard. He lives in paradise, Maui, father, husband, and widely recognized as one of the foremost experts in real estate investing. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Brandon Turner. 
Dude, I'm totally hiring you to just do all intros for the Bigger Pockets podcast from here on out. Like that was the best intro I've ever heard. Wow, I'm like, I want to know that guy. That guy sounds awesome. It's yeah. the best I got. I peek at the intro and then it all goes downhill from there. <laughs> there we- <laughs> yeah, dude, no, I'm excited. That was uh, that was phenomenal. And uh, yeah, thank you. That's uh, it's a, it's an honor to be here. It should be fun. Definitely, man. I'm really excited to have you on. Everybody, I'm sure knows who you are. But do you can you give like just a quick thirty thousand foot view of uh, for the guests who might not know yet? Sure. Uh, my name is Brandon Turner, and I am the owner of a small company called Beardy Brew Coffee, <laughs> and that's that's a true story. Uh, but uh, we're 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 it's a it's a it's a passion side project that has nothing that will never make me any money whatsoever. I also dabble in real estate on the side, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I got started when I was uh, 21. Bought myself a house, sold it, made 20 grand, and I was like, that's more money than I would like I made all year my job. And uh, at the time I was going to be a lawyer and I decided being a lawyer would be terrible. And so I decided to go into real estate full time. So I started flipping houses, started buying rentals. I bought a little duplex that two little houses on one lot ended up being Kurt Cobain's two houses, as you mentioned. And uh, it was just his baby houses. So it doesn't do anything for me whatsoever other than give me a fun story to tell on podcasts. And uh, then I just bought more and more and more. And I, I call kind of my strategy, the stack, which is where like I kind of exponentially grew. It was like, single to duplex and later I triplex and I messed around in like that range for a little while. And then I bought a 24 unit and then went from there. I bought a 50 unit uh, mobile home park, fell in love with mobile home parks, bought a hundred unit mobile home park. And then now have, uh, I don't know, I bought a dozen more of those mobile home parks. So kind of exponentially scaled uh, most of that coming in the last two years, really. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. I love that, man. One of the things I think is really cool is following your journey from somebody who was doing blogging at bigger podcasts and then eventually took a bunch of things over. I mean, people can literally watch your journey in real estate. So it's cool yeah. because things are documented now, almost like watching kids grow up. So I think yeah. it's a big thing because um, probably I think you and I started right around the same time about 15 years ago, but you almost had to just trust like this guy's saying he's been doing this and he started here and I can end up there. But yeah, I don't really, can't really, but now like anybody who wants to, they can literally just backtrack. And I think having somebody like you that they can watch the documentation and say, this guy started or at some point, like where he was in this journey, I am, and I can get there, I think is a huge inspiration to people. That's cool, man. Yeah. I, I, I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, it's totally true. You can go back to like my, like I had a blog before bigger pockets before I even started helping them. And uh, it was called real estate in your twenties.com. And it was just like, I was like 27 and I was like, I'm going to start writing about what I'm doing. I know it was never a very big blog. I never had that many subscribers, but like a person could still go back there today and go see like what I was writing when I was 27 and I had like 25 rental units and uh, kind of figuring out. So yeah, that's kind of, it's, that's, that's, that's interesting. It's like a nice, time man. capsule. I, uh, you know, you have such an array of podcasts and so much content and information out there that I'm sure you get sick of telling a lot of the same stories. So I'm trying to like yeah, think of other heard. things we can talk about. And I was like, you know what? I haven't heard you talk much about jujitsu on a lot of these other ones. So hopefully we can dig into that a little bit. That can oh, be, yeah. I can be like the one that we separated, but I thought it was cool listening to the live one you guys did recently when they called in, as I was saying a little earlier, because you tend to hear like everybody's at a different cycle, but they tend to hit the same things. And one of the big things that every time I'm at a mastermind and they go like, what's your biggest thing? Focus, yep. just saying yes yep. to too many things, yep. not focusing yep. on too many things. You being somebody who talks to people every day who probably have a great idea and are successful, how do you, what, what was the thing? And I know why you're focusing and where you are now, but how did you get to that? Or how do you fight that when you feel that coming on of like, oh, no, 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 look over there, shiny toy syndrome. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. It's, 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 it, 
like you said, everybody has the same problem. When I go to the masterminds as well, every mastermind person's like, oh, I'm just doing too many things. And so it's like, we all know the problem and we all do the problem and we all struggle with it. Uh, I, I use the analogy a lot of building too many bridges. Like if you're on one island and you want to get to another island and boats don't exist in this imaginary world, you can only build a bridge to get there. And so like the bridge to like financial freedom island or whatever, like we start building it and we start building another bridge and another one and another one, but we only have so many resources and only have so much time. And so like the more bridges you build, the fewer, the, the slower they go. Uh, and so I remind myself of that constantly. Does it help? Not really, uh, but I still tackle a lot of stuff. But here's, here's the, the thing that drives me today is I'm very focused on what are the few things that I absolutely have to do? It's like the Dr. Oz analogy. You probably heard somewhere. It's like Dr. Oz at the height of his work was doing like, he had two, like two magazines. He was on Oprah. He was doing like the doctors, I think, or something. He had all this stuff, right? He had like a very busy life was on CNN and all these things. And he was still doing 200 open heart surgeries every year. And I was like, how could he do 200 open heart surgeries every year? It's because when he'd walk into the surgery room, he wasn't cutting them open. He wasn't clamping all the whatever blood thingies that get clamped. Like he literally would walk in and do like his cut. And then that he was the best in the world at doing that cut, that that thing he was trained on, he was amazing at it. He'd do that cut. He'd make himself probably, you know, $100,000 for that 30 second cut. And then he'd walk out of the room. He wouldn't clean them up. He wouldn't wash them up. He wouldn't unclamp them, anything like that. No stitches because like that was his thing. So the thing I focus on heavily today is what is my Dr. Oz cut? What is that thing or things that only I should be doing? And how can I outsource more of that? To put it another way real quick, I heard once a, a billionaire say that the secret to his success was being a quitter. In other words, everything he did in life was to find out how do I systematize this so I can quit this and never have to do it again. And I, I, I kind of apply both those principles to my life is I do a lot of stuff. I just make sure I don't stay doing a lot of stuff. And I think that's kind of the secret is knowing what you should be doing, what you shouldn't, and then finding other people to do those things for you. And just learning to say no, which sucks. And we all don't like to do because there's so much opportunity, but yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with that, man. I think that's a phenomenal answer. I hadn't heard that Dr. Oz analogy before. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things I think is really interesting is a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are people that might have dabbled in real estate. They, they're, they're really looking to jump in, but I get a lot of the calls from people that have the problems. The same stuff like when they call them for their first, like, oh, I don't know which market, I don't know this. But a lot of it comes down to once they make the decision, it becomes, all right, I got to talk to my wife. Yeah. And then you like almost don't hear from them for a while. And then it's like it back in and back out. And I tell everybody like, I didn't come from money, but my, my family was very emotionally supportive for me getting into this and was like all for it. And when I called my mom to say like, Hey, I'm going to buy my first house. She was like, awesome. That's what you've been paying to learn how to do. Go get them. And if she didn't say that, I don't know if I would have bought that first house, which I never would have been where I am today. So I love the fact that you actually have the support of your wife and your family for people that are listening. Can you talk a little bit about how important that is and what, what role or what advice you have for somebody who might be getting a little resistance, which I understand because there's fear and they just don't understand. But um, I, I love hearing a little bit about how you guys work together. Sure. Yeah. So when we, when we met, uh, you know, I didn't know anything from about real estate. I didn't have any ambitions to become a real estate investor or even wealthy. I mean, we were both, you know, raised lower middle class. And uh, when I started getting into real estate, I started reading books about it. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and I, I did all this stuff. And I started, I even bought myself a house, like our very first house. I bought it before we got married. And I just bought myself a house, rented out all the bedrooms, kind of house hacked it that way. And, you know, she was just kind of at the time, like, you know, okay, well, that's weird, but you know, whatever. Uh, I'm glad he's ambitious. Uh, but then she didn't get it. Like she didn't understand what I was doing. Nobody really did. Uh, like my parents, we were all, I mean, most 
most lower income people are raised that rich people are bad. Right. So even my, my own parents weren't really big on what I was doing. Like my dad told me I was going to end up homeless if I continued <laughs> down this path. And uh, it's actually how I found bigger pockets is when he said, I, he's like, what are you going to do if tenants don't pay rent? I remember searching the internet for like using like dog pile or whatever was big in the day. And I was like, what to do when tenants don't pay rent? And I found this little site that had like a few, you know, a tiny little forum called bigger pockets. And that's how I first connected with bigger pockets, you know, whatever, 15 years ago now. Anyway. Uh, so the way I got my wife on board is because not that I needed her to like, I didn't need her to work with me necessarily. I don't think I think a lot of people when they're looking at why their spouse won't support them, they think my spouse won't work with me on this. Well, you don't, you have a different life. You're different people. If you don't want to work with them, like fine, let them do their thing. You do your thing. But the support is everything, right? Like having their like, at least like I believe in you and I support you in this. And the way that I got that is I think you need, you need buy-in because they need to understand the mindset. I think trying to get your spouse in the right mindset is so key. And me and Heather weren't in the same mindset to begin with. Like she just, she came from the same background. I did work, earn money, save up. When you're 65, you can retire. So I remember asking her to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because that changed my mindset in such a phenomenal way. And she wouldn't read it. And I don't, she don't, I don't <laughs> read business books. I don't want to read that. That looks boring. Uh, so the way I got her to read it is I offered to make a trade. I would read any book she wanted me to read, no matter what it is. I would read any book if she'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So we made the trade and she read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read uh, Twilight. So <laughs> Team Edward. And uh, we, I, I think I read the whole series, actually, to get her to read it. And it got her in the mindset. She got it. She's like, I get it. I understand what you're doing now. And like from that moment on, she was on board. And so there, I mean, there has been a hundreds of nights where we're like painting a rental unit at three in the morning, you know, just trying to get it ready for the next tenants that are moving in the next morning. And she took over, we found things that she liked and we found things she didn't like. And so we just catered the business to the things that she liked. She actually really enjoyed the, the systems and the business behind property management. So she read every book on property management. She built out an amazing system and processes and rules and everything. And she got really into it. So we always leaned into that. We leaned into the things that she was good at and liked doing and took away the things she didn't like doing. And that's kind of how we worked ever since. That's awesome, man. And the thing I heard you say that I think is hysterical is, you know, everybody's got a story about like an uncle that lost his shirt in real yeah, estate. And that, everyone's got an uncle. It seems to be what comes up, but... Anytime, like I started learning to question everything. So when somebody says it, like, oh, my friend, I'm like, well, who's the friend? Can I talk to him? Like, yeah. it's never a person you can track down. Yeah. And, you know, friends, have, I, I have to with coaching students a lot, tell them, like, look, don't get mad at this person for trying, like, they love you. They're trying to protect you. They just don't understand. It's not necessarily coming from a bad place. It's just, you know, they, they don't understand, but they'll take advice from people that have no experience in real estate and finance. They, they don't know anybody who doesn't live paycheck to paycheck. And it's funny because when somebody goes, look, go, go open a restaurant, go start a business that's statistically designed to fail. They'll cheer you. Oh, I'll be the first one there. You know, I'll put signs all over. I'll promote you on social media, but then you go, I'm going to get into real estate investing. They go, Oh, it's a scam. Yeah. Don't do it. But it's like statistically more, way more millionaires are created from that than anything else. How do you handle that part of it? When, I mean, after, I don't you can't even count probably how many people you've talked to and about that, but I just think yeah. it's such a weird mental thing with that with people. Yeah, people, and I think a lot of it's the blame is like the gurus, the late night TV, because that's like their <laughs> opinion of real estate, right? It's like Tom Vu on a boat with a bunch of women in bikinis in the 90s, you know, like that's the vision people have for real estate. It's like, 
you know, oh, you're getting into that. Or they have like, they had a bad experience with a bad landlord and they're like thinking you're just gonna be, I mean, how many times have you heard the joke? Oh, you're a slumlord. Like I hear, I, it's, it's like weekly people are like, oh, you're a slumlord. And like, ha ha ha, funny. <laughs> In reality, that's the, that's the, that's what most people think of when they think of landlord. They think of the scummy, sleazy, like slumlord who's like pounding down your door while smoking a cigarette and his wife beater, like, you know, outfit. And like, that's just, that's what people look at. And it's just, it's, it's not what it is, obviously. And so, I don't know. I kind of just like, you know, ha ah, yep, that's me, slumlord <laughs> laughing all the way to the bank. And then like, I don't know, let the results speak for themselves, I guess. And I, yeah, yeah, no, man, that, that's awesome. Another thing that I thought was really interesting, which I, I battled with from the beginning, probably right up until this day, is there, there was one guy that called up specifically, and I've heard this a few times, the common theme of people associate price with risk as far as the property values. And some of them go, well, it's a cheaper property. So like there's less risk because there's less, well, they don't understand what goes into that. Um, I think that that's a really interesting take because especially what you're doing with the mobile home parks now, I get people that send me multifamily and mobile home parks and they'll give me these cap rates and these cash on cash returns, but you look at the area and the area is terrible. So like, yeah, you could buy it for a cheap price and technically you could make that. But what they don't understand is when they get into that, the, the mental anguish and the turnover and all that, like it's a non-performing asset. What do you, I thought you did a great job of, of answering that, but what do you do? Like, where do you ride that fine line of price versus value in a, in a hot market where it's hard sometimes to get some good cap rates and returns? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a couple, a couple of things that have, have changed my mindset a little bit on this. Yeah. When I was starting, it was the cheapest, the pro the cheaper, the property, the better, the property. That was like the mission I like lived, uh, cheaper, the property, the better, the property. But when I look back at my portfolio, like over time, as I, as I built it, the cheaper properties caused me the most problems. Uh, they had the, the low, lowest quality tenant that wanted to rent there, the most like problems with the property, things would break more often, the cheaper appliances, cheaper carpet, cheaper everything, right? And so like that would just be a continual problem. Uh, and so I guess what, what I started realizing is, first of all, the, to replace a water heater in a property that's $200,000, let's say, is the same price as to replace a water heater in a property that's $400,000. Same price to place for a water heater and a property that's $25,000, right? A water heater is a water heater to replace. Now, maybe a little different. You might buy a slightly nicer one, but it's not exponentially different. So in other words, like the cheaper properties that I would buy, a much larger percentage of the income and the rent would go out to these un unforeseen, quote unquote, expenses. Uh, and so I sort of learned that like these things like really add up. Uh, furthermore, they don't appreciate it all. The cheapest property, cheaper properties haven't appreciated much. So I would rather own the more expensive stuff that will, you know, I'd rather take a million dollars to a $2 million property than a $100,000 property to a $200,000 property. Uh, and, and both are reasonable. Both can, both can happen over a, you know, a long period of time. But yeah, that was, uh, that's probably a big realization for me. And then finally, a buddy of mine once said, and I love this quote, he said, don't be afraid of commas. Uh, and he was an accountant. He learned this from his accounting practices. He's like, it's, it's just like, like when I was looking at today at our numbers, like the mobile home parks were buying, it's like, you know, 3 million, 5 million, 7 million, 5 million. And I'm like, geez, like these are huge numbers. And I'm like, no, it, it, the principle is the same. It's just like 500,000, 5 million. It's just, it's a comma, it's a zero. Uh, and not to be afraid of that. So there's some of the mindset behind like the bigger, more expensive properties. I'm a much bigger fan of them. Plus there's easier to manage, easier to finance, easier to everything. Now they, I don't want them to lose money, of course, but I would rather take a slightly lower return on a nicer property in a better area than a better immediate return on a crappier property. I'm always looking to expand my circle. So if you're interested in coming on the podcast as a guest, 
for the A-Game podcast, please email podcast at nicknicknick.com. Or more importantly, if you are interested in having me come on and be a guest on your podcast, I would love to come on and share some value and some of my experiences with your audience, whether it's a business podcast, a jujitsu or sports or MMA podcast, entrepreneurial mindset, whatever it is, uh, I would love to get on and um, and connect. So please podcast at nicknicknick.com. If you'd like to be a guest or have me as a guest, don't hesitate. Looking forward to hearing from you. That's awesome, man. Have you had to train yourself to to think like that and look for the positive and shake out the negative? Because I feel I get a lot of people go, well, you know, if that property, so again, what if they don't pay? What if this happens? Bigger risk. And, you know, you really have to constantly, I have to constantly slap myself and say like, no, stop looking at what could go wrong and look at what could go right. You know, and there's always that, but some people have to learn that. Some people just have that naturally. Is that something that's always been in you? Cause you seem very positive. <laughs> I, I, I think I am fairly optimistic in general, but yeah, I mean, I, I still, I, I, I use that fear or that the risk, right? I use that as, as not like avoiding it, like because fear is there for a reason it's to keep us safe, right? That's why we ha- we all get afraid of a bear chasing us because we don't want to be killed. <laughs> and so, uh, like, I think the way I look at it is like, if there, if I'm afraid of something, what's the core belief there? What am I actually afraid of? Uh, what am I nervous? So yeah, if I, and then, is that actually a concern? So for example, I would be I would be pretty nervous today to go buy a large commercial office building rented to one tenant. Like that would just, that would be worried me a little bit, right? Because the world is changing. The office environment is changing, especially one tenant could leave. It might be vacant for five years and I've got a $5 million a year mortgage payment. For good reason, that would freak me out. So like that, that fear and that risk exists so I can think, well, what's the real problem here? Is that a real problem or not? So, but instead, like, but if I'm at a mobile home park, that's got 150 lots on it. Like our, our low-income tenants, are they going away? No, like it's, just, it's a worse and worse problem in America every year. Is, uh, you know, is, like, is, is everyone gonna move out at one time? No, like, am I a good operator? Am I a good manager that can take care of filling more units in? Yes. So then there's a lot less risk there. Like for the same reason I would buy shopping malls right now, I'd be okay with buying like a strip mall. I'd be okay buying single family houses because I can look at the worst case scenario, the worst reasonable scenario, mm-hmm. right? Worst case would be an asteroid hits everybody and we all die. But like, you know, and I can say that's actually not really not that bad. Like I can survive that. I could lay in some extra work. I could work a little harder to overcome whatever that problem is. That's a great answer, man. And, and speaking of market risk, a lot of people do have, especially now with everything COVID going on, it, it stirred up a lot of emotions from people that had property traumatic stress disorder from like yeah. the last crash. What are some things you're doing with your model to stress test against the turn in the market? Yeah, good question. So a couple of things. One, everything we want, we want to cash flow from day one. I'm still not betting on appreciation. I don't see a collapse coming in the market necessarily, but uh, I mean, we're due for one, but there's no real clear sign that we're going to have one. Uh, I mean, depending on who you ask. So anyway, so number one, we we buy, we want to buy cash flow. We want to do properties that are conservatively going to cash flow well for us starting from day one. Uh, so almost everything we buy is that. We also look uh, very heavily at like, things like, are we planning an exit cap rate? And this might get a little in the weeds here. That's higher than what we're buying it at. You know, so in other words, like right now, let's say we're buying a property at a five cap or, you know, which for those people not into that just basically means a, it's kind of like a multiple of what you can sell it for. Uh, it's a terrible explanation of it. But the idea being it's worth this much today. Is that same value going to be there five years from now? And we're assuming eh, the market might not be as competitive then. So people might not be willing to pay as much. So we're 
decreasing like our risk that way a little bit. So by, by having a higher exit cap rate. So that's a kind of into the weeds answer there. Um, what else are we doing? I guess, uh, I mean, the biggest thing is we're, we're just time heals a lot of problems. And so like, we're like, when we're raising money, we're raising money for our company all the time. And like, we tell people like, there is no, it's not like we're in and out in four years. We're not promising two, three, four years. Like, great. We might get a, a deal. We get in and out in three years, but we might only sing for 10 years. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the market's going to do. So just being aware that the market could, it will decline in the next 10 years, guaranteed. So knowing that all of our moves, all of our investments have to say, okay, knowing we're going to have a collapse at some point, or at least a recession in the next 10 years, does this still make sense? And that's how we're, we're doing it. And so if we have long-term debt, as long as we can get, if we have exit strategies, multiple ones, uh, if we can increase the value by means other than simply hoping on appreciation, which is what we do. We do a lot of infill. All those prevent against a market problem or market correction that we should be all right to ride through it. I love that, man. And I think what you're doing is key by setting the proper expectation. I think it's another problem that people have is they don't set that expectation and talk about what could go wrong. And, you know, speaking yeah. of that, we were touching on partners. This has been something that I've been fascinated with specifically with you because I watch your, your like your bromance social media with, uh, with David Green. <laughs> and I think it's awesome because, you know, watching you guys spend time together and hang out, like it, it looks like you actually enjoy spending time together. But what I have seen and experienced a lot over the years and, and gotten a lot of stories back from is the old partnerships are sinking ships. And once you start working, you're getting involved with friends. And, and like I was saying earlier, like guys that are in bands, they're smiling on the posters and then they go their separate ways. Yeah. That's a big thing though, because especially being a quality of life guy, when you go into it, you bring in friends with the intention of doing things together and growing together and sharing all this, this great experience. And then like when money gets involved, it gets weird. What have you done to, to keep that balance of the friendship without letting the business poison that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, when I, when I first started Open Door Capital, the reason I started getting bigger was two reasons. Number one, I went to Nashville, Tennessee and a buddy of mine, has a music company there. They do music production. They do a lot of country and Christian music out in Nashville. And they're very, very successful. Multiple Grammy wins and all this stuff. And I looked around his, his, his office and there was like four or five people. They were all good, tight, like good friends, hung out after work because they wanted to. They did meaningful work while they were there. And I looked at this and I was like that, like for years, I couldn't figure out, like I couldn't put a finger on what I wanted, which is why for a number of years, I didn't really buy much. I bought like a you know, house here, duplex there, but I wasn't doing anything much. And then I saw that and I was like, that is what I want. So everything I have built with Open Door Capital with all, you know, 1500 units and we're scheduled to close another 500, hopefully in the next couple of months, um, all of that was based on the idea that I was just trying to build a community. Like that's what, I, that's all it means to an end. It's the means to an end of working with people, doing meaningful work, doing work that I love. Uh, and so all that to say is like the relationship side of it that's not a piece of it. That is it. Like that's the core reason for everything that I'm doing. So knowing that, uh, we put a very strong emphasis on things like culture. Uh, we're very strong on culture on like picking people when we put in, bring in our team that fit the culture, but also knowing that if we pick the right culture, but the wrong skill set, it's going to make for a very awkward relationship later. Cause we're going to have to fire mm -hmm. a friend. And not that I go and hire all my best friends. I have lots of friends that I would never, ever work with that are still my favorite people in the world. I would not go into business with them. So we, for a long time, I thought you had to choose between uh, like 
like culture fit and like skill and expertise. I no longer believe that. We just don't make an, it. It's not a question. It's just, yeah, you have to have both or you're not, you're not on the team. So second, and then on that, to find that we, everybody has to come in through some other method than an interview. Like I don't hire based on interviews, really. Um, we do, it almost everybody's came from an internship like or a volunteer basis. Like one, we just hired a guy named Jay. He's awesome. Uh, he's been interning for a year, helping us find properties, doing acquisitions. And I've had dozens of people I've worked with over the years doing internships on that stuff. Jay stood out as like a rock star. So he just came on full time. So I, it took a year for him to get there. But my guy, Mike, who's my investor relations, he came from an internship. Walker, who's my uh, my COO of my entire company. Uh, Walker came from an internship. Uh, Micah came from an internship. He's my finance manager. Like Brian Murray came from, uh, who's my one of my, like the main partner. Like he's my like largest uh, shareholder in Open Door Capital. He came from, he had already owned 2000 rental units. He's written a book on the topic. And then we became friends and we started talking a lot about real estate and we're part of the same mastermind that I kind of formed out here in Maui. And that's how he came in on a deal by deal basis. Not even as like a partner in the whole company. Like he's, everything's still deal by deal. So anyway, that's a very long drawn out answer to it's all based on, it's all rooted in relationship and community. Uh, but it, that skill set and experience is not a, it is not an option. It's a requirement. And then finally, I don't trust anybody ever, no matter what their resume or their application says, they have to prove themselves in the fire before we'll actually work long-term with them. So that's kind of how we've, we've worked together and it's worked. I love every single person that I work with every single day. Like it's a joy. We, I've actually had like five hours of phone calls today, like the longest work day I've had in a while with my team. It was like just a lot of different meetings all got scheduled on the same day back to back. And every one, I just ended going, man, I love these people. I feel like we're on the Avengers. It's like, we're all like, <laughs> like everyone's so good at what they do and awesome to work with. So I don't know. I'm not sure that answered that question, but that's yeah, that, that was a great answer. And I think that's brilliant. Is there a bigger podcast episode talking about how you use interns for those different things? I definitely like to hear yeah. about how you use them for acquisition. That's a great idea. Thanks. I don't know if there is, but I should. Yeah, uh, I can tell you a little bit about it. Like, so here's how we use internships at, at Open Door Capital in my own life. I mean, not just Open Door Capital. I use my bigger pockets. We use them in my various other things. Again, it goes back to this idea that I always say is like, you never know how someone's going to be until you work with them. Resumes are lies. Interviews are lies. Uh, like even like recommendation referrals, they're lies. Everything is is jaded. The only thing that matters is how you're actually going to do. And I'm not saying like people are lying. Like. I think I'm pretty awesome at most things, but there's a lot of things that once I really get into it, I'm not awesome at it. I once tried to make a wooden sunglasses business. I was terrible at <laughs> e-commerce. In my head, I could convince you, like I could, you could interview me right, right now to run your e-commerce business if you had an e-commerce business, and I could convince you I'm amazing at that. But the truth is I'm not, and I was proven by by the work I did. So on that premise, then everybody goes through a trial period in some way. Uh, the internship thing has been phenomenal. So. For example, in the beginning, now we've we've changed over the years. Like in the beginning, opened our capital. I had this grand idea. This was the idea. I'm going to bring in 10 underwriters, like people who are amazing at analyzing deals, like just awesome at it. And then I'm going to bring 10 salespeople who are amazing on the phone and pounding the pavement, like wholesaler style, like people that are just amazing at getting leads. And I'm going to, these 10 and these 10, and I'm going to kind of like pair them together. And the, the salespeople are going to go out there and just get a bunch of mobile home parks. And they're going to give them to the underwriters. Underwriters are going to analyze them. And whoever gets the deal gets a piece of the GP on that deal. That was the idea. And it sounds really good. And I thought it was going to work out really well. What ended up happening was it was just too much, too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen stepping on each other. And it just ended up being difficult. They were all amazing. I mean, every single person in those groups was amazing. It just, they were, it was too difficult to manage. 
However, of that, in the group of underwriters, one of the guys in there looked at our spreadsheet and said, this spreadsheet sucks. Uh, I'm going to redo the whole thing for you. And he just, he completely remodeled our entire underwriting model, like completely, yeah, redid it for mobile home parks and spent dozens of hours a week on this thing and just made it unbelievably good. That guy who was an intern doing that for free is Walker Meadows, my C- my chief operating officer, my, my COO. Like he's running everything uh, today. Uh, the guy, another guy on the sales team, he gathered together all the people in his area that were other salespeople, got them together at coffee shops, held them accountable to their goals, watched them do what they were gonna do and really just like became like the father of that group. That was Mike Williams, who's the head of my investor relations today. So when we shut down that internship, I just took those two guys and brought them in. Not that there's anything wrong with other people, but it's like 10% of people, I believe, like will rise to the top. And so the internship is a way of, of working through that. So uh, that's, that's kind of how we do it. One more thing I'll add on there. So when we do, like, for example, I recently had an opening where I needed some help on the internet marketing front of my life. Like just, I have a lot of internet marketing things like bigger pockets and doing more videos for YouTube and uh, just random affiliate relationship I have, just all this stuff. And then like just trying to grow bigger pockets. And so I thought I'm going to put out an ad for an internet marketing intern. I got 300 applicants for this thing, mostly from my Instagram, but we put it out everywhere. 300 people applied for it. The first thing we had them do was like respond with like a series of questions. I then that narrowed it down, like only like half the people even responded to that email, right? So now we're left with like 150. Out of them, we had them do like, some simple test. Out of them, it narrowed down to like 30. Out of them, I gave them another test. And it was like, hey, I think the test for the 30 was like, I'm thinking of launching a whatever business. Put together a business plan for that on a one-page PDF. And out of those 30, I think 15 actually did the assignment. And it wasn't an overly complicated assignment, but out of them, like 15 did the assignment. Out of those 15, I looked at every single one of those and there were five that stood out as really, really good. Out of those five, I interviewed those five on the phone. The first five in a row, every one of them, I was like, ah, oh, you know, they're they're an intern. They'd be all right. I think they'd be, they'd be okay. Like their intern quality. But I wasn't like overly thrilled. And I was like, maybe this whole internship thing just isn't going to work out this time. And then my last call was with a guy named Matt. And like within the first 30 seconds, I told myself, I'm hiring that guy someday. He's like, he was, so I ended up bringing him on as an intern, flew him up to Maui, put him up here for six months. He's been here for six months. And last week I offered him a full-time job and he accepted as my new brand manager. He's running my entire like beardy brand company, I guess you could call it. Uh, A lot of stuff that all came from that funnel. So anyway, I guess that's probably the most I've ever talked about this is how I run the internships and all that to get people. it just worked out. And there's other interns. Like I got a guy named Drew. He's phenomenal, but like he's here right now, but he's not going to get a full-time job because I don't have a specific role for him, but he very much knows if we find a role, he's going to get that job because he's phenomenal. He's awesome. But in the meantime, he got to hang out for six months. I paid him. It's not like I'm taking free internships. I'm paying him a little bit of something. He got to learn from our team to be connected to every level. And now going forward, if he goes back to Missouri where he's from and he goes and finds a 25 unit apartment complex, I mean, this kid, he's 22 years old. He goes and finds a 25-unit apartment complex and he calls me up and says, Brandon, I found a 25-unit apartment complex. I'd love to buy it. Do you want to work with me on it? Do you think I'd say no? Like, of course, I'd be like, show me the numbers. Let's talk about it. Because he's proven himself in my world and now I know I can trust him with bigger things. So that's that's internship 101 for my life. That's fascinating, man. I think that, that I, I would love to hear an episode on that. I think that that's really yeah, valuable stuff, man, for sure. You know, you, you said a quote that is one of my favorite quotes, which I, I think ties right into what you just said of how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely love that. How you do the small stuff is how you do the big stuff. And I think that 
what you said is so smart because a lot of people always go like, well, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Or who do you want? Who do you want? Who do you want? And I always tell them I'm, I'm a game day guy. People can give me the best resume. They can put their best foot forward. They can call their best references, but until game day, when it's time to perform, you really don't know. So don't. doing things like you said, it's, it's about finding out what you want is by finding out what you don't want. And like you just said, you know, these 150 people that didn't put that, they're gone. I don't even have to worry about them. Now I'm figuring out more and more like, who do I want? Who do I want? Who do I want? You know, and I think having the discipline and the patience to go through that is such a huge characteristic and a huge trait of, of like you said, over and over again, being honest with yourself and being decisive. What are some things, cause I feel like I say it all the time, but I'm almost like the parent that they don't want to listen to. Cause you know, so like coming from you as, as far as like being honest with yourself, being decisive and being disciplined, I think are like, for me, the three biggest things. And that self-honesty, I was laughing because I heard a, a joke, like I'll use it for me. I'm a little fat guy. I'm always thinking about food like all day. And uh, <laughs> I have like the app tracker and like, I know like my nutritionist is going to look at it and I'll be eating something and I'll want to not put it on there. And I'm like, I know that's only really affecting me at the end of the day, but I almost want to lie to myself. Like I didn't have that peppermint, you know, hot chocolate like you were talking about. And then I heard another story that somebody was like, you know, guys will measure their manhood and then most of them will lie to themselves about what it actually is. And I was like, what's wrong with us? Like, yeah, all- I know, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, what do you attribute that to? And how do you get around that? Because it's not easy to be honest with yourself, but it's so necessary for being successful in business. You know, like you want to tell yourself, this isn't a bad deal. This isn't a good person. This isn't a good fit. That's, that's so, such a good question. And uh, it's funny you said that about the food. Because I, I have a, there's a company called My Body Tutor that I like, same thing. I have like a, a health coach every day. I write every meal that I eat and they give me feedback on it. Right. And I'm so tempted every time I eat something bad, every time I'm tempted to lie. And <laughs> I like, you know, it was a great day. I just had a, I had a, you know, salad for lunch. And I don't mention that they had a, the three drinks with it or whatever. I right? like, uh, and then every time I go, what, what are you, what are you doing, Brandon? Like, like that only hurts you. Like you're lying to yourself. So, but it's still a temptation is always there because I always like to say, nobody wants to be the villain in their own story. Nobody wants to be the bad guy and, and our egos all want us to be the hero. Like, and so like, I don't want to admit that I screwed up with the food and I don't want somebody else bl- like, you know, the, this coach holding me accountable to that. Cause that means I'm the bad guy. I'm the villain in my story. And I don't want that. My ego doesn't like that. And so I'm tempted to just lie, but I just know like growth doesn't happen that way. Growth doesn't happen unless you confront your inner demons and your inner uh, liar. And so by <laughs> trying to maintain that, because once you, like you said, once you let go of a little bit, you get, you form this identity of somebody who's untrustworthy. You know, I heard David Osborne say this at BPCon last year uh, or that, two years ago now because of COVID, whatever it was, last BPCon we had, uh, David Osborne spoke. He's an he's a author of a book called Wealth Can't Wait. And he said, integrity is not what other people think, uh, think about you. Integrity is about what you think about yourself. Like, how do you describe yourself? Are you honest with yourself? And it starts with the little things. It's when you, you say you're going to wake up at 6.30 a.m., and then you hit the snooze button 12 times, you've now told yourself, I'm okay lying to myself. Uh, and then later on in the day, you go do something else. And there's that, there's that cute girl at the gym. And you're like, well, I'm already a liar. So I'm going to go and hit on that cute girl at the gym because I'm already accepting that I'm a liar. And you're going to go cheat on your spouse now because you, uh, you're already a liar, right? That's an extreme example, but that's the road that we walk down when we start losing integrity with ourselves. And so uh, I remind myself a lot that like, integrity in the little things matters a lot. So like, I have to hold myself accountable. I, I'm such a big believer in like that, that word identity. Like, who are you to yourself? Who are you when there's nobody listening and looking? Like, who do you think you are? And if you have the identity of, 
of somebody who's successful, then your actions will follow that identity. And so I, I'm a big proponent of trying to alter that identity. And how do you do that? I'm not great at it, I suppose, but the best way I've found to try to get that identity is surrounding yourself with others who have that identity. Uh, and then the books you read, the media can, you consume, you become that identity. Uh, if I wanted to be, I mean, when I came to Hawaii, I used to, okay, in Washington, my identity, one of them was like lumberjack guy. Like I had like all I wore was flannel t-shirts, I mean, flannel shirts, like long sleeve flannel shirts and jeans every day. And they had the big beard, right? I was like the lumberjack identity. You go to like uh, Denver, Colorado, and everybody's got on like a, like a vest, right? And they're all ready to go hike up a mountain and you go to New York and everyone's got a black jacket on. I don't know. It's whatever that you get these <laughs> areas, right? You go to Florida and everyone looks like they're 1993. It's like pastels and stuff. And so you adapt these identities and that's like a, a funny, like side identity, but it's true. Like you just naturally become like the environment that you put yourself in. That's how identity is formed, I think. And so uh, if you want to be more honest with yourself and you want to be more successful in any area of your life, just work on the identity piece, work on fixing who you are in your soul. And for me, that's somebody who's not a liar. I don't lie to myself, or at least I try not to. I'm not somebody who misses goals easily. Like if I have a goal set, I'm going to hit that goal or I'm going to die trying, you know? So like, cause as soon as you start saying, well, you know, I tried really hard, but we didn't hit the goal. You've now given yourself permission for the rest of your life as you are somebody who doesn't value goal setting. And that's a dangerous spot to be. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He's played all over the world and he's also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585. 0585 for your free online drum lesson. Man, I love that. You just fired me up to go out and do a bunch of stuff. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You know, part of what you just said is exactly why I love jujitsu. You know, some of the, one of the things I tell people a lot, my, my brother was, I'd say he's, he was lost, you know, relevant to our conversation and he's a musician yeah. and he, he started going to jujitsu at Matt Sarah's Academy in New York. And I remember he posted one day cause somebody got like a promotion and everybody was like, yes, man, awesome job. Like well-deserved, you've been working your butt off. And he was like, man, I wish my music friends celebrated each other's victories the way my jujitsu friends do. And I realized it's exactly like you said because there's no lying in jujitsu. Like if you haven't been showing up and you haven't been training, you're not in shape. You could tell yourself all day long, you're gonna walk in and beat everybody up, but you're gonna get exposed really fast. And then you're around a bunch of people who are gonna hold you to that and they're holding each other and themselves to that. So you're either gonna to have to step up or you're gonna get weeded out really quick. How has jujitsu translated into your personal and professional life? Have those worlds mixed? I assume a lot of your habits that you use for business and to hold yourself accountable are gonna make you a star in jujitsu at some point as well. Yeah, we'll see. We'll I'll tell you a story about jujitsu. So I started jujitsu a year ago, uh, right at, right as right before COVID came down. So first uh, of all, I interviewed Jocko Willink on our podcast. He's a big jujitsu guy, right? And on that interview, he was like, I said, Yeah, I want to get into jujitsu. And he said, When are you gonna go? 
And I was like, I'm going to go on Monday. Like, he like calls me out on it. So then of course, now I've got people, hundreds of thousands of people now are like, they know that I'm going to go to jujitsu. Now, now I have to do it. Right. Uh, which is a side note is a, is a tactic I use in my life all the time. You see, like when, when I, if I can not necessarily publicly humiliate myself if I don't do a thing, but if there's other people's agendas involved, I'm such a nice person and I want everyone to like me and to be happy that I will bend over backwards for other people more than I will myself. Right. So like I find ways to obligate myself in other ways. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a minute when full circle here. But anyway, so publicly now I say, I'm going to go to jujitsu on Monday. I don't even know any jujitsu academies or whatever, any in the area at all. I don't know anything. Uh, there's one, so I go there, the only one I knew of, and it's closed down. And I'm like, oh, geez, all right. So now I got to find another one. So I show up to this place on Monday. I walk in, and of course, I'm like two minutes late because I, I don't know, I got stuck in traffic or something. I'm two minutes late. Everyone's in their full geese um, over there, like learning something. And uh, I think they're probably just like warming up. And I walk in, and the lady at the front desk just looks at me and she's like, Can I help you? And I'm like, uh, I'm here for jujitsu. <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, Like, to, like, do you have a friend here? And I was like, no. And then she goes, well, I mean, are you like, I mean, have you done this before? And I was like, no, no. Well, did you, did you wrestle ever any martial arts? I'm like, no. And, and she could not figure out why I was there. It was the most <laughs> awkward introduction to jujitsu I've ever like to anything, right? Zero, like, come on in, let me show you around. Like, it was just like, why are you here in this, in this gym? She's like, well, why don't you just go sit over there in the corner with the kids and watch? And that's literally what I did. She put me in the corner with like the five-year-olds and we sat there on the floor and I watched for an hour and a half. Uh, it was a terrible experience. So I left <laughs> after an hour and a half and I was like, all right, well, I guess that sucked. Um, wow. So, so that was my very first introduction to jujitsu was that. Then uh, I'm like, well, again, like I, I understand like just because you have a bad first experience, and maybe it wasn't bad. You could look at that as a good, it was an introduction. I watched, I got to see kind of how things were doing. It was just awkward, incredibly awkward. So uh, a week later, I ask a bunch of buddies, hey, do you like that live on the island? Do you guys know anybody who does jujitsu? And somebody says, yeah, my buddy does it down at this one place. So I'm like, okay, great. So a week later, I go to this other place. I show up there and they're a little bit more, a little bit more friendly, but not much. Still like, why are you here? Like, like nobody shows up to a jujitsu gym, apparently without like being invited. Like, that's just not a thing. I think like nobody like, cause it's so awkward. Right. And you're so out of place. So I, they just couldn't figure out why I was there but this time. They had me kind of like mostly watch and kind of like, you know, do the, the stretches and it's about it. Um, but I started going week after week, awkward every single time. Didn't know what I was doing. And what I've now kind of find out is this jujitsu Academy or whatever was a lot more advanced than I should have been going to. Like there was no beginner class, in fact, I don't think anybody there had been doing this for less than 10 years. And so like, yeah. I was like, it was, it was probably not the right spot for me maybe. Uh, but I went for like three months straight or two months straight. I went every week uh, once, which is not a great cadence to do trying to learn jujitsu, but I went once a week for, for a couple months, never learned anything really other than how to get hurt. And uh, then COVID comes down. So it's a long story, but I'll wrap it here in a second. So then COVID comes down, shuts down the gym. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm done doing jujitsu for now. I'll pick it back up again whenever things open up. Four months go by roughly. This is like mid-July. And I'm talking to a buddy of mine who lives here, the dentist. And he had been trying to get into jujitsu the same time I was. And, I, and he said, hey, man, you should come over on Saturday. We're rolling. And I said, like, you're, ro you're rolling? Like, what do you mean? Like, your gym's open? He's like, no, man, I just, uh, a couple months ago when COVID shut everything down, I just called up the gym and said, do you have any private instructors that can come train me? And they're like, sure, talk to Jerry. And like, it hit me that I, what happened is I let my 
environment control my goals, right? Like rather than the other way around, like I let an outside circumstance, something else that was bad that happened to control the direction of my life versus my friend who was like, okay, that bad thing happened. How do I get around that and still train? How do I still get to do this? And so that day I just, it was such a mind blowing, like I'm such a moron. Like I didn't even think how else could I do this? Instead, I took the easy way out. And that's what I think a lot of people do with all sorts of things. Well, I wanted to invest in real estate, but that lender said that I don't have a high enough credit score. Guess I'm not going to do that, right? Like everyone's looking for the out. Like they want to save face. And that's what I did. I, I, I chose the easy out to save face. Well, COVID hit. Uh, so anyway, that, that week I went and rolled with him and, and Jerry. And Jerry and I hit it off. We became like buddies there. And uh, I thought he was super cool. So now every single week since then, I think I've only missed a couple of weeks. He's come to my house three times a week. Nice. Private, private instruction. And now the gyms are back open again. So I'm going to start actually going again. But like now I know what I'm doing. Which yeah. brings up one, one last point is like, when I went to that second gym, the one that they didn't show me anything, they just threw me in. They're like, all right, go roll. I never learned a thing for two months. I mean, nothing. I could not tell you what mountain was after that two months. I could not tell you what guard was. I could not tell you any of that stuff. Within an hour of working with Jerry, I knew what all that stuff was. And I could like, it's like the 80, 20 rule. Like, just like an hour of instruction helped me 10 times more than going for two months. Um, so I think that applies to life as well quite a bit is sometimes like just getting on the, if you want to do something new and exciting, you want to go, you know, do a real estate thing, just get on the phone with somebody for an hour and they'll shave off months of you trying to figure it out on your own. So anyway, Man, lots of probably lessons in there, but that's my jujitsu journey. I absolutely love that. First off, I'm, I'm very proud of you for going back again because going <laughs> to a school, it's intimidating, you know, even me like now. Intimidating. Yeah. And for them to react like that and not make you feel welcome, knowing that like it has to be that business thing. I think that that's a huge miss, but it ties perfectly into what you were saying about culture. And, you know, it's, yeah, every one of those guys was probably great at jujitsu, but they weren't great for you, you know? Yeah. So like finding that I think makes all the difference, just like you found those interns and you found out what you don't want and all those things. And, you know, I just, I think it's a miss business wise across the board, but I tell everybody I'm going to go to jujitsu every day if I can, and I'm going to get better. But if I take a private lesson with, you know, Matt Sarah or Damian Maya for one hour a month, they're going to save me months of broken bones and black eyes and all those things. And it's just, you're, you're skipping the line. You're skipping all that pain. And I just, I love that, man. But I, I do have a funny story for you that you, we can cut it out if you don't like it, but yeah. I was at, uh, I was at um, Chris Weidman. Was it Chris? Eddie Chuck Gordon's wedding, a UFC, UFC fighter. Yeah. And I was sitting there with Chris Weidman, Aljamain Sterling, Ray Longo. Like we were all at a table together. And with me and Chris Weidman and his wife, Marivi, are talking about real estate and we're going back and forth about properties and they're talking about using like the bigger pockets calculators and all that yeah. stuff. And, you know, we're kind of going back and forth and, uh, and, and so we kind of got the conversation going and, you know, everybody's kind of getting excited. And then I see that they're kind of texting and kind of looking away from the table and kind of texting. And then all of a sudden somebody brings it up. And I think it was, it was either Chris or, or Aljo first. And he was like, who are you talking to? He's like, Oh, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry. I'm just, you know, I'm texting somebody about some real estate. He goes, well, so am I, who are you talking to? And they're kind of going back and forth. Well, let me see your phone. And then it turns out I'm talking to David Green. Well, I'm talking to David Green. <laughs> I was like, oh, he just got caught with both of his side pieces. Like That's he's coaching funny. this guy, he's coaching this guy. It was funny. And they were like, oh, we're going to have to get him on a conference call. But it was so funny, like the way it all happened. I was like, ah. Oh. That's, that's hilarious. David, David Green's awesome. David Green's a, he's a man. He actually uh, he trains with me out here doing jujitsu now, whenever he's here in town, he comes out like every other month, roughly now. And uh, we roll together. He's good because he was a cop. 
So nice. yeah, he knows like cop jujitsu, right? That's like the d- different form, I guess. <laughs> like he knows the uh, how to throw somebody's arm behind their back and throw them on the ground and cuff them, uh, which comes in pretty handy for beating a white belt up like me. But <laughs> like, like I was saying though, your Dr. Oz move is probably your triangle because you're like six six. Every time, got to got to move the triangle. Then, like, so the funny thing about jujitsu too, and this totally applies to life, right? So I also roll with Tarl Yarber. Tarl's a uh, uh, real estate investor from Seattle. He's been spending the whole winter out here in in Hawaii, and we roll together like three times a week. Every time Jerry comes over, he does all of us, and uh, so it's nice because then me and Tarl are both white belts. We're both learning with each other, and then Jerry's standing over us, being, "Okay, you do this. Now move your leg here. Watch this thing." So it's really good for learning, but. Every once in a while, one of us can't do a day, right? And those are the best, right? Because those are the days that I'm like, okay, this is what Tarl keeps getting me. (laughs) Show me a way around this. So then I missed a week. I was out on vacation or something for a week. And so Tarl, the whole week, they just worked on how to get out of my triangle. So then I come back and I just, I mean, every, I put him in a triangle every time he just stacks me on the neck and I just like, I I just can't defeat him, right? So then the following week, Tarl's out. So then I go and learn now what, how I can, you know, overcome his overcoming of my, whatever, you know, you get the game. It's uh. It's fun. And it reminds me of like, I mean, anything when you're going like difficulty, whether it's real estate investing, whether it's anything you're trying to build an entrepreneurship business, like you run into these things, you're like, I cannot fight this thing. But then you step back, you're like, I'm just going to work on this one thing to figure out how to go around that. Then you figure that thing out, right? Like I don't have enough money to invest in real estate, but then you're just like, okay, I'm going to tackle, I'm going to go read a couple books on it. I'm going to drill into it. Boom. Now I got that thing. But then you get hit by some other thing and then you got to figure that thing out. And that's just, that's what jujitsu is like, really like, I think, taught me probably more than anything is just like it's a game of chess and you're just going back and forth and it's such a, a synonym whatever for life like such an analogy for life uh and if you just keep going you just keep getting better and better and better and better and it just becomes uh natural yeah man i mean i i think business wise it, it teaches you you know what would like in, in deal you're in a bad spot instead of just tapping out and giving up you find a way to take a breath and yep. find a way out and find a way to get back on top. And like paralleling what you were saying, you know, I, I traveled all over the country for the last 10 years, like for properties and for teaching and for conferences. And I'd find somebody in every city to meet me at like 4.30 a.m., 5 a.m. to just roll with me for an hour. And people, oh, I, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I don't want to do that either. But like, you don't get your black belt by sitting on the couch. Like you have to yeah. find time to do these things. It's like you said, you create the circumstance, you let the circumstance create you. So yeah, I, I think that's awesome, man. And I hope, I hope D- David Green doesn't get mad at me for sharing that story. No, I think you'll, <laughs> I think you'll like that one. <laughs> well, I, I know you're, you're, you're running out of time here. So again, I want to be, I want to be respectful of it. So I call this the victory lap where I just kind of wrap up a few final questions. Um, one of them being, are you ever going to be allowed to shave the beard now? Or is this, this <laughs> it's got to stay. No, well, okay. So true story. I uh, got this app right on my phone. It's called, it was like, I think it was Snapchat. Whoa, what am I doing? My phone's on in my pocket and it says, are you sure you want to pay for this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, what's it called? Face? No, it's on Snapchat, right? It's the no, it's the no beard filter on Snapchat. The thing's crazy. Like it's, I'm going to actually show you this. I know people listening won't be able to hear this, but I'll, I'll do it and then I'll take a picture. I have to like hide a little bit of the beard. <laughs> All right. So let me show you this thing. Well, you see that? I don't wow. know really well, but it's me without a beard. It's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. Anyway, so no, based on this photo, I will never allow myself to share that shave this beard, <laughs> not for a million dollars. And my wife would probably murder whoever shaved my beard. So nice. Uh, I look like a 13 year old girl. Is the <laughs> uh, if I didn't have the beard, they would call me like I don't know, 13 year old girl, Brandon. <laughs> You know, it's well, for life. become your business card. Yeah. Hey, true story though. I actually, this might sound slightly uh, unauthentic, authentic, unauthentic. Is that the word? But 
Uh, it's actually very authentic. And, and this is what it is. I grew the beard on purpose because I knew it would make me stand out more as like just not another awkward tall white guy. <laughs> like what I mean by that is like I was very intentional. I'm very intentional about a lot of things in my life. And I was like, you know what? I look like every other dude. And I had the podcast. It was just starting to grow the bigger pockets podcast. And I'm like, how do I make this look more? How do I how do I stand out from everything else? Right. And so I watched this TV show fast and loud. I didn't watch it. My dad watched it. It was a car show. And there's this dude on there with a big long beard. And I was like, that guy's super interesting. Right. Like there's something that made him unique. If he didn't have it, he would look like a normal, like tall, lanky white guy. Like I'm a tall, lanky white guy. Anyway, so I was very, very deliberate about growing the beard. Uh, but now it has kind of developed into its own thing. And now it's just kind of who I am. It's my identity. Can't nice, man. I like it. Um, you know what you know now in life and business. What advice would you give a younger Brandon Turner? Um, ooh, good question. Uh, I focused really, really heavily in the beginning on for a long time on real estate investing like learning how to be a good real estate investor. Uh, it's kind of like a baker focusing a lot, a lot, a lot on how to be a really good baker. It's a good thing to learn, if, especially if you're going to be a baker, you should learn how to bake. But I wish I would have spent more time and earlier learning how to be a business owner because those are two different things, right? Um, because if I wanted to scale and I want to do less, which was the goal and still is the goal is to spend more time surfing and jujitsu jiu and family time and watching movies and sleeping in. Like that's still like, I like that stuff. In order to achieve that stuff though, you can't just be good at baking cakes. You have to be good at running a business. And so I, that's the best advice I'd have is I would have started reading books like the E-Myth and Cashflow Quadrant and the Lean Startup and uh, I don't know, a lot of those books earlier in my career. So I would have been a better leader, better business owner, better manager. I don't like that word, but be able to, to work with people. So that would be my advice. I love that, man. I think that's great advice. It's something I'm learning more in the last two years than I have probably in the last 15. It's, yeah. it's very, very solid advice. Um, people know a lot about you. You're out there. You're, you're constantly giving content and putting yourself out there on social media. Is there something people don't know about you that you wish they did? Hmm. A good question. I am I am very open on like Instagram and stuff like that. So I'm pretty wide open there. Uh I would say like I have a and this isn't quite like not that nobody knows this, but I have a pretty big passion for music. I'm a huge music guy. I listen to music all day long. I play music, I play drums, guitar, uh sing. I do some church stuff. Like I play music for church every like five weeks. They put me up on stage. I get the lead music. So uh, I write songs once in a while, especially with my buddy in Nashville. We've written a couple. That's been kind of fun. Uh, yeah. So I guess I, I'm, a, I'm a big music nut. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I played guitar for a long time. Our brother's a drummer. So I oh, get it. Awesome. Man. Music is awesome. Um, last but certainly not least, um, talk about Open Door Capital, Bigger Podcasts, uh, Bigger Pockets Podcasts. How did they find you? You know, some anything you want to talk about the site, about raising the funds? No. Uh, let's see. I mean, bigger pockets is amazing. So yeah, check out the podcast. It's uh, it's changed my life. What's cool is like I'm like the hair club for men guy, right? Like it's like I'm not just a spokesman. I'm a client. Uh, that's me. Like I I would not be here today if it weren't for bigger pockets. In the beginning, I would not be a real estate investor if it wasn't for them. I would have said, you know, Dad, you're right. I don't have any money. I can't invest in real estate. Well, I mean, my tenants wouldn't pay rent, and I'd lose everything. So bigger pockets gave me those answers. Like when I got slapped, you know verbally for about getting into real estate, it, it was like the jujitsu, like, here's the way to overcome that. Here's the way around that. Here's a way to, to keep fighting. Uh, so bigger pockets has been huge. So I just, I'm such in debt to Josh Dorkin and just the entire bigger pockets community for that. So yeah. And then open door capital, it's just been, it's been a wild ride. I think we got 300 investors. Now we've raised $20 million in the past year, about 2000 units, almost, you know, 1500 going on 2000. And, uh, 
we're going for a billion. So that's the goal is a billion dollars owned within seven years. We're very clear on vision in my life too. Like everything I do in my companies, we're very vision oriented. So billion dollars in seven years. That's what we're going to own. I love that, man. And is there anything, what, what are the goals could you have for the, the actual podcast? I mean, it's the biggest real estate podcast out there. What's next for that? And what's next for you? Well, my original goal was that within two years, I think it was within two years when we launched it, I wanted to be in the top hundred of business podcasts in the world within two years. And within two hours, we were the number three or something like that. So that was, uh, I grossly underestimated my, uh, the podcast in the beginning. Uh, I never thought I'd be where we are today. Like it's crazy. Um, the biggest thing, I guess the biggest thing for the podcast and bigger pockets for me is ironically not the, well, it is podcast, but it's YouTube. Um, See, podcasting, I don't believe can grow. I don't believe I can grow that much bigger in podcasting. And I mean, it will grow, it'll grow gradually, but I can't 10X the podcast views, like your downloads, right? That's just not going to happen over the next couple of years. But YouTube, I think is, an, is a tremendous opportunity. I think I get 10X views on YouTube. Uh, so that's the main focus is doing a lot more YouTube focused things because I just have a lot of fun doing that. So nice, man. That is awesome. I very much appreciate that you took the time to, to talk to me today. And I've been a big fan of yours. I've been following you for a long time. And I think what you're doing is awesome. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your experiences. I know you're a very busy guy. I am very jealous that you get to hang out in Maui and do jiu-jitsu all day. Um, you know, you're, you're doing a lot, man, but you're inspiring a lot of people. You're sharing a lot. And I very much appreciate it. Do you have any, uh, any final thoughts before I let you go today? I don't know. That's all I got. I guess the, the biggest thing I'll, I'll, end, I'll end with, uh, I mentioned real quick vision. So I just encourage everyone, if you don't have a super strong vision of where you're headed, I would think long and hard about that. I think it's such a powerful motivator is uh, establish yourself a vision. If it wants to be real estate, if you're trying to build a business, you want to become a black belt, what is that thing? Put a timeline on it, work backwards, set yourself an annual goal, set yourself a quarterly benchmark, uh, give yourself a weekly plan. And then uh, every single day, do what you can to do the the minimum to be able to achieve that weekly thing. If you line your, line your life up like that, like anything is possible, like anything. It's, it's amazing how simple successes when you line it up like that. So I love that, man. Those are wise words. And obviously for anybody listening, all of the links for how to find you, how to find the podcast, how to find the site, how to find the open door capital will all be in the show notes. They can just click on that. If they probably do already. Um, you certainly bring your game to everything, man. I appreciate it very much. Have a great day. I hope you and your family are safe. Enjoy Hawaii. Enjoy jujitsu and I uh, enjoy the rest of your week, man. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You're so lucky.